Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello again and welcome back to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Kevin. And I have to say, you're getting better at the introduction. Oh, a little bit. And only one take that time. There we go. <laughs> All right. So we're moving on here till May of 1990. Much, much, much better than April. I think we have our first classic here, don't we? Yeah. Um, we'll get into it in a little bit, but uh, anytime Marty McFly's on the screen... <laughs> I'm excited. Also, I want to, but think about it. Have we had a classic yet? I don't think so. No, I think this is the first time. I mean, Hunt for Red October might be considered a classic. Okay. So. Okay. No, that's a great movie, but not like one of our childhood classics. No, th- that's not one of the movies of why we started this podcast. And I, this is. This absolutely is. Absolutely. 100%. Is. Can't wait to talk about it. thousand percent. All right. But we're not there yet. Don't don't keep me waiting. Get right into it. We're going to get into it here. All right. So there are only 15 movies came out this month. Now, what month of May? Month of the, yeah, the month is May. Yes. So we're like on the cusp of the summer blockbuster. May is when it starts. I mean, more recent May really became a big blockbuster month. But back in 90, May, June, really June, July, August were the big months. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited. So. All right. So here we go. So coming in at 15. Any Man's Death, grossing $5,433. That doesn't sound like a success. No, it was not. Uh, just a couple. It's about a veteran reporter who gets disappears covering a civil war in Africa. And the only clue is a roll of film he left behind. Uh, starring John Savage, uh, he was actually in The Deer Hunter. Mm. He plays the vet who lost both legs. And he was also the priest in Godfather 3. And I did find it interesting. He grew up in Old Beth Page, which is right down the block from me. Nice. Long Island boy. Yeah. Uh, it still also stars William Hickey. He played Uncle Lewis in Christmas Vacation. Oh. <laughs> and M- Mia Sarah. The blessing. <laughs> yes. And the cigar scene, right? Yeah. Uh, Mia, Mia Sarah also, who was Sloan in Ferris Bueller. Oh. Yeah. Sloan was 80s but hot. Still not interested in that movie. All right, coming in at number 14, Far Out Man. Now, given the time given the time this movie was released, can you guess who might be in this movie called Far Out Man? I feel like Paulie Shore. It's a Cheech and Chong movie. Oh, okay. Mostly Chong, though. Uh, directed and written, directed, and starring Tommy Chong. Cheech makes a, uh, an appearance, but I believe this movie really focuses around Tommy Chong. He's an, ang- an aging hippie who sets out on a trip across America to find his family. Is he ever anything other than a hippie? No. No, because he is a hippie. It's just easy that way. (laughs) Really reaching for those those roles. Uh, All right, moving on. Oh, that earned $82,000, so not a uh, hit. Oh, okay. Coming into 13, Happy Together, earning $100,000. In this movie, an aspiring writer goes off to pursue a career in writing. Imagine that. But due to computer error, he shares a room with Alex, who he presumes is a man. However, Alex is a beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. how do you make that mistake if she's a beautiful woman? Well, he didn't see her first. He oh, just went okay. by the name. Oh. And also this description, I've tried to find it, made nothing clear. Was he going to college or was he just assigned a roommate when he moved out of his house? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Does that happen? <laughs> Some parallel world where you move out of your parents' house and you're just assigned a random roommate? Maybe. All right, coming in at 12, A Show of Force, earning $152,982. An American journalist in Puerto Rico in 1978 investigates the death of nationalists who may have been murdered by the police. So this is a fictionalized telling of true events. Um, I mean, I'm not really interested. I kind of fell asleep when you were reading that description. Uh, But just so you know, Andy Garcia, Lou Diamond Phillips... Kevin Spacey, Eric Estrada. Wow. So there's a few notable names in there. The dick grabber himself. 
directed by Bruno Beretta, who's a Brazilian director. Uh, he's completely Brazilian, though, and then I guess he was brought in because this movie set in Puerto Rico and Hispanic ties, I guess. Okay. Number 11, Last Exit to Brooklyn, earning $678,680. This movie is set in 1950s. A prostitute falls in love with a customer, and I mean, I don't know. Anyone in it? Stephen Lang, who was Ike in Tombstone. No, uh, not enough to carry him. Yeah, he's also the bad colonel in Avatar. He's the main character, so. Oh, that's the same guy? Yeah. Wow, oh, I didn't know. I think I knew that and forgot, and now that you're telling me that again, I'm so happy that... Tombstone's one of my all-time favorite movies, so to see Ike have another, I'm happy that he had another role. Of, I'm sure he had a better career than that one other role, but right. happy to see him in Avatar. Well, he's also in signed for all six sequels that are eventually going to come out. That's a whole nother podcast that we have to discuss James Cameron and whatever the hell he's doing with all of these movies. I'm 100% in for that podcast. Okay. <laughs> Special. Here we come. <laughs> all right. So, but interestingly enough, Stephen Baldwin, Sam Rockwell, and Ricky Lake all make appearances. What is this thing that Ricky Lake, she was in Crybaby as well. She was an actress. But when was her talk show? I feel like. Like right after this. She should have done nothing. I should, yeah. I should not know who Ricky Lake is. <laughs> Unfortunately, you do. Coming in at number 10. Class of 1999. The only thing interesting I found about this movie is number one, Malcolm McDowell was the main character. Okay. He was the main character in Clockwork Orange. He played Alex. I know that. Yes. Okay. I know um, who Malcolm McDowell is. I wasn't sure. He had no reaction. Um, also, actually, you know who else was in this? Uh, Bradley Gunn was in this movie. I don't know who that is. He plays Eyeball in Eyeball Chambers in Stand By Me. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so this is a horror movie. <sighs> Robot teachers have secretly... Hold on. Did you just scoff? Yeah, I sure did. Did you just do a... What's her name? Kristen Stewart? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Anytime (laughs) anyone scoffs on this podcast from now on, it's a Kristen Stewart. Absolutely. I'm in for that, too. All right. So basically, this is a teen high school horror robots or teachers. I mean, who cares? The director, Mark Lester, Mark L. Lester, directed Commando. And he also directed another movie called Class of 1984, but that's not a horror movie and has nothing to do with this one. But So he directed one movie, Class of 1984 and Class of 1999. Okay. He likes graduating classes of things. Good for you, buddy. Good yeah, for you. Let's move. Oh, that earned 1.4 mil. Have you been doing the, the grosses on all the movies? Yeah, I got them all. All right. Because I'm just intrigued by the plot line of these movies. I'm not paying attention to our format. <laughs> All right, number nine, Death by Temptation, earning $2.2 million. (laughs) Another horror movie. An evil succubus is preying on libidinous black men in New York City, and all that stands in her way is a minister in training, an aspiring actor, and a cop who specializes in cases involving the supernatural. Okay. Yeah. Can I not watch that? This was written, directed, and starred by James Bond III. His name I'm, is James Bond. It sure is. The third. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays the uh, the minister in training. So. This is pre-Samuel L. Jackson being Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, what, we're like a year shy of that. Yeah, a couple of years, I think. Uh, all right. Coming in at number eight, Short Time, earning $4 million. You haven't mentioned the movie I've heard of. No, none of these. It's just not good movies. But at least now we're starting to earn millions of dollars. Maybe there'll be something interesting. I guess. (laughs) There won't be. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) All right. This one, there's nothing to even be said about this movie. I don't even want to talk about it. What kind of of movie is it, though? All right. Uh, Police detective. A police detective thinks he's done. Oh, actually, no. There's something very interesting about this. Okay. No. (laughs) Wait. Changing gears. Starring. Dabney Coleman. Oh, because he's first rate. Like, that's the only thing that's good about this movie. Right. It's a comedy police detective thinks he's dying and learns that his life insurance will pay out more if he dies in the line of duty, and he tries to make that happen. Is it a drama or a comedy? It's a comedy. It's a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Coming in at number seven, Longtime Companion. Ugh. This is... A, all right. So this movie... Um, Hold on. 
I just scoffed. Yeah, but you don't even know what it's about. But I don't really want to know. All right. It's earned $4.6 million. This is right in the height of the AIDS pandemic you okay. know, for the world. So, th- so the director actually died of AIDS about four years after the release of this movie. Okay. So I'm assuming it ha- held a place in his heart to make a movie right. ab- about um, the emergence and devastation of the AIDS epidemic um, mm-hmm. in the you know the gay community. He, di- he directed uh, Prelude to a Kiss with yeah. Alec Baldwin and Meg Ryan and Kathy Bates. All right, so that's it for a long time companion. Earned 4.6. I can't remember if I said that or not. Mm. All right. Um, coming in at number six. Now, I had to do a lot of digging to find anything about this movie. It's it's a um, a Spanish movie in Spain um, called Iatame. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. But it was released in the United States as Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. I've heard of that movie. Yeah. I mean, it earned 4.6 million. A little bit, so four point six two million, a little more than uh, number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about an unbalanced but alluring former mental patient takes a porn star prisoner in the hopes of convincing her to marry him. So it's released in Spanish, starring Antonio Banderas. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, he's the guy who kidnaps the porn star. Um, I mean, I would see it, except for the fact that it's in Sp- in Spanish. I love a subtitle movie, so I'll, I'm in. Yeah, I can't. I hate reading when I don't understand what they're saying that makes sense because i feel like you're so focused on the words you don't watch any of the acting it, it is an, a, a learned uh skill to watch the movie and read the subtitles at the same time but i watch a lot of uh foreign a lot of japanese uh, uh, kung, not just kung fu takashi Miike movies are all subtitled oh, you, you love which takashi i love Mike. yes so all right but that's also a podcast for another day yes and that one you're probably not in for <laughs> Probably not. So directed by Pedro Almodavar. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, as I pronounce many things wrong. Uh, he wrote and directed The Skin I Live In, which is a fairly popular- With also movie. Antonio Banderas. Um, that's a new movie. Yeah. Moving on, number five. This one sounded interesting, but apparently it wasn't. Firebirds, starring Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones. Um It's about an elite Apache helicopter pilot. They're both helicopter pilots. They're tasked with destroying powerful armed drug cartels operating in South America. Sounds interesting. However, this movie lost over $5 million. Nice. So not something I'm looking to see. But it did earn $14.7 million, but short of its budget. All right. And the last of these movies to talk about, thank God, because then we'll get into some decent movies here. No, Uh, no, no. Not decent. (laughs) Well, some are decent and some are great. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Number four, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. A young boy tells three horror s- stories of horror to distract a witch who plans to eat him. I've never seen this either. It's a homedy, a horror comedy or a homedy, as I almost said. <laughs> yes, it is a homedy. <laughs> uh, well, one of the short stories in this movie uh, was a Stephen King short story um, called A Cat from Hell or The Cat from Hell. So, I mean, I heard that this is his least favorite of all of his books and stories that were made into movies. A man well-renowned for hating his books being turned into movies, and this is his least favorite. Correct. So it has to be borderline unwatchable. And oddly enough, you know what his favorite is? Uh, Shawshank, isn't it? Nope. What? Stand By Me. Oh, okay. Well, that's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Uh, Shawshank, he also liked. Those are the only, I think those are actually the only two that he likes. Is the, the Green Mile version. his too? I'm not sure. I, I think, think it is, is, but I'm not sure, too. so I don't want to say yes. Okay. All right. Are we into three? Uh, we are into number three. And what is that? It's a pretty good movie. We never saw it before. Cadillac Man. Benz, 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 Joey O'Brien loves to sell cars. Benz, 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 now, he has a little explaining to do. I want to know how many times you did that. And I want to know where, and I want to know how. Her too, and my wife, and his wife? How the hell you got time to make a living? What's that make it for? How many girls you got? Yeah, at least it's my daughter. You got a daughter, Joey? You probably got a wife too? 
No, no, no. Wife? No wife, no ex. Ex, ex, ex wife. He's a busy boy, you're Joey. A very busy boy. Madonna. Tina. Chuck. Lila. Lila. Lila, listen, there's an explanation for this. There really is. Ow! Robin Williams. Tim Robbins. You got a lot of girls. It's easy for you. It ain't easy. Cadillac Man. It was a Robin Williams movie that I never saw before. And I can't tell you how excited I was to actually have a reason to watch this movie. Yeah, it was good because... Again, I never saw it either. I didn't even know Robin Williams was in it when I looked when I saw it on our list. So seeing him pop up right in the beginning of the movie, I was like, oh, okay. So we have Robin Williams plays Joey. Tim Robbins plays Larry. Fran Drescher plays one of uh, Robin Williams' girlfriends. I love that he's a womanizer in this movie. Lori Petty, who's uh, Tyler from Point Break or Kit from A League of Their Own, is another one of Robin Williams' girlfriends. She's out of her mind. And <laughs> Tina is Robin Williams' um, wife. She plays uh, Schwarzenegger's partner in Kindergarten Cop. That's play- played by Pamela Reed. Yes. Okay. I yes. didn't bother to learn her name because <laughs> I only wanted to know her as Schwarzenegger's partner from Kindergarten Cop. All right. So Cadillac Man earned $27,257,086. What about the cents? I don't have that. <laughs> you were being awfully specific, so I thought you might have the, the change in there as well. All right. So the plot is he has um, two days to sell 12 cars. Otherwise, he could lose his job. Apparently, he's been on this selling cars on this lot for 20 years or so. They're going under, and now it's like everyone has to sell a certain amount of cars or we're laying everybody off except for the son and one other person and whoever else sells the most cars. Exactly. Um, so... That's what we think the movie's about. And then all of a sudden, Tim Robbins comes flying through a, a window I would, on a motorbike. Uh, okay. I, I would object to all of a sudden because I clocked it. And he doesn't, Tim Robbins doesn't get involved in the movie till about 30 minutes but in. That's what I mean by all of a sudden. We're following Robin Williams around as I got to sell these cars. I got to juggle these women. I got to find my daughter because apparently the daughter goes missing and they're worried about it for like a second. But, and then all of a sudden, like he's selling cars and he's, and he's, and it was the most annoying and frustrating scene I'd ever watched was him trying to deal with, uh, Fran Drescher's husband who, you know, he's banging Fran Drescher. So now he's got to deal with the husband. He's trying to sell to the guy from the funeral home and he's trying to sell to this Random. Yes, I Russian know the I, Yes, I know. But I think. All right, so you jumped way Look, ahead. I did. Yeah. So let let's backtrack. So the first third of the movie is Robin Williams reaching out to everybody that he knows to try and sell these twelve cars so he could keep his job. Okay. So he reaches out to uh, an apparent mob, somebody or another. Whether he's a boss or it's he not clear. Owns money too, though. He owes him a fair amount of money. The guy thinks he's coming to his house. Robin Williams is coming to his house so he could ask for more money. In turn, he's asking him just to buy another car. And to spread the word to all his men to come buy a car. Then he go. He calls some of his old clients, trying to get them to buy cars. He's talking to his girlfriends the, to get their them and their brothers and their friends or whatever to buy cars. to get her husband to come buy a car. Which he does come by, and that, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. His ex-wife tells her to call, his bro- call her brother. Yeah, so he goes to his ex-wife's house, which apparently every time he goes over a house, they end up having sex. Right. But it's like a love-hate thing. Uh, And also, he finds out that his daughter hasn't been home since the night before. And then the wife gets off an exercise bike all sweaty and out of breath. And the first thing she does is drink a Diet Coke, which I found extremely odd. And I just had to mention that. Well, that's 90s health. Diet Coke is good for you. You know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. (laughs) I'm I'm the one who doesn't understand what was happening. (laughs) Right. When the food pyramid told you to consume like four loaves of bread a day. (laughs) That's healthy. All right. Right on the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So now he goes back to the lot. They they all go out to lunch to the Asian food restaurant, which is, I guess, the Chinese food place. Across the street, right? Which is just a way to set up where the cops are going to establish themselves later in the movie, which is fine. The, the, The waitress, though, oddly enough... Yes, you would recognize her. Yes, I thought I did, but I couldn't find out who she was. She plays Ross's girlfriend in episode two of Friends. Okay. Episode two, three of the first season or so of Friends. I looked that up and I found that. And you have watched Friends. An unacceptable number of times. Right, yes. 
way more than I have. So I've seen most Friends episodes, but uh, I didn't recognize her from Friends. I thought she was from something else, but she, I also thought she did a fantastic job. Oh, she was great. She was very funny. And she, she's like hawking things like the food. She's like, he's like, I'll have one of these. Okay, you want three? three? <laughs> yeah. We had we had two shrimp bags. Two more shrimp bags. <laughs> yeah, it was great. She was good. And then they go back to the uh to the car dealership. And then that's when oh. he starts now. So Tim Robbins' character is Larry. We see him for like one second in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but he doesn't take off his helmet or whatever. He's he just even know. arguing with his, his, uh, his girlfriend. Wife. His wife, yes, his wife. And sorry. he drives off angry. On his motorcycle. So yeah. you never see who it was. And then uh, about 30 minutes into the movie, he crashes his motorcycle through the Wait, window. But let's talk about that scene. That scene made me so angry. They're just the bickering, the back and the forth. It had me so stressed out. And it's a good thing because that's what they were trying to do, right? right. They're trying to stretch you out. And it had me so stressed out and I didn't know what was about to happen. And then when it happened, I was like, oh, all right, that makes sense. And I really like what they did there. All right. So he crashes through, he's got a gun. And then he has also, he says he has a bomb strapped to his motorcycle, which is more like a dirt bike, but. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. So he's go. He knows he or he has a feeling that his wife is sleeping with somebody at the dealership. He's trying to find out who it is. It's the son of the owner, but Robin Williams says that it's him just to fess up, so the guy doesn't murder everybody because Robin Williams has no idea what his intentions are. Um, as time goes on, he Robin Williams actually befriends the guy. So this is the dynamic that I thought was odd, but I liked it. I didn't find it bad i just thought it was weird the way that they worked so robin williams would make a suggestion to tim robbins character tim robbins character would would fight it at the outset and then robin williams would convince him and then tim robbins character would follow along as if it was a good idea but also the crazy part of this is tim robbins is there with a gun, shooting people, shot his wife in the head. Well, by accident. By accident, but he, he did shoot her in the head. He it shot was a grazing. He shot at at her, right. but and he's there to clearly cause havoc on the people that are ruining his he life. He was destroyed. And he when, didn't know what he was doing. Whatever. Regardless, when he finds out Robin Williams, well, he think Robin Williams says that he was the one banging his wife. Uh-huh. He doesn't get he gets mad at him, but then he starts listening to him and having conversations with him. Yeah, well that's what I'm, yeah. They, so I'm saying they become Towards the end of the movie, they're friends. For no reason, but I like it. It, it well, wasn't bad. Like you said, like it played out. It and- made sense in a way that I, it, it, it was only, I think, the charisma of the two characters, the way they played it could be the only way that that, that dynamic could make sense. Because logically, it made no sense. Yeah. But can we talk about the the part where uh, Tim Robbins confronts his wife before he starts shooting all over the place? Sure. I just felt the whole, the whole dialogue between him and his wife to be hysterical. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he's screaming like, who who banged my wife? Blah, blah, whatever it was he was saying. And she he's like, who else are you banging? Who else are you banging? And she's like, I fucked everyone. I just fucking, fucking fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then she sees him look at the look at Rob Williams and he's like, no, you haven't been screwing the salesman, have you? And she just goes while she's crying. A little. <laughs> That's great. As if there's varying degrees of banging people. Yeah, sort the of. The coming up with the name bit was great. They just go back and forth. That was pretty funny. Um, the cop, when he says to him, he goes, there's, there's something strapped to his bike. What's strapped to his bike? M2 Plastique. The cop's immediate reaction was, I don't believe him. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, where'd you get it? New Jersey. (laughs) He's like, and then he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) That goes on for a while. They don't know what they're doing. He's freaking out. He puts all the people in one room, pulls them out of the room. It's a back and forth thing going on. Finally, Robin Williams convinces him to release some hostages. Mm. And the the Russian guy that he was trying to sell a car to originally comes running out screaming, please shoot, don't me. Please shoot, don't me. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And um, I just thought Tim Robbins was great throughout this whole movie. Uh, I thought Robin Williams was great throughout this whole movie. It was just – there was such a good tone. Like it's like it was a dark comedy, but it didn't feel too dark. Like Mm. it was just like obviously none of this should – should ever be funny, but I'm laughing the whole time. Um, they kept my interest the whole time throughout the movie. Yeah, it had a good pace, the movie. It, yeah. it, it, it didn't bore me ever. Right. I wasn't counting down any seconds. Not the best comedy I've ever seen. Not the worst. It's far from Robin Williams' best movie and definitely not a bad Robin Williams movie. So best actor, as if I have to ask. It's Robin Williams. Of course. Worst Cl- actor? Well, close second is Tim Robbins. I'll give He's you that, great. but I... 
look, I have a special place in my heart for Robin Williams. So if he's on camera and he's doing okay, he, it's great for me. Uh, worst actor? I'm going to say Lori Petty. That's I fine because she was just so over the top. She was annoying. That was my note. Yeah. And she was the seamstress. She was trying to be like a, a, a designer. A designer which- and her... her the clothes she designed were atrocious. Well, but that was meant to be like that. They were, okay. they were, they meant, that was meant to be over the top, but just. Okay. You want to talk about over the top? There's over the top and then there's ridiculous. She had an outfit that she had sewn matchbox cars and in a road pattern on the, the outfit that she was wearing. That's not eccentric. That's ridiculous. She also had a hat that had a, uh, like a felt guitar. Like, <laughs> yes, I remember. Did, did you did you notice their outfits when in the scene when they were trying to get into the club? Hold on, I and Robin Williams' this. hair. Yes, I have notes about this. What did I say? I said the hair at the club scene. I said, "What the fuck are they wearing at the club?" And his fucking hair. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like that you had to put the laugh in your notes. All right, most quotable lines. I have a good one. Robin Williams. He says, "Hey, you know what you are." You're an ass half. Takes two of you to make an asshole. Yes, that was great. I died when that when he said that. Uh, another one was when uh, Robin Williams was hitting on. I can't remember who he was hitting on, but he goes, "I guess dinner and a blowjob is out of the question." Then forget dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Tim Robbins plays like such like a confused character in this one. So he's like, this is some joint here. Open season on everyone's wife, huh? <laughs> and it was a good movie. I really did. I, I enjoyed it. Would and you I like, recommend it? I would recommend it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm not going to tell you you're going to die of laughter throughout this movie, but it's worth a watch for it's sure. It's a good Robin Williams vehicle. If you've never seen it, you should see it. Agreed. All right, so Bird on a Wire was a good movie, right? Coming in at number two, it earned $138,697,000. And 28 cents. Watch out! It happened one night. Then after 15 years... Rick, is that you? Yes, me, Rick. Let me in, will you? Marianne Graves discovered an old flame. What the hell are you doing here? Me? What the hell are you doing here? Being shot in the butt. Had never died. You get lost in your plane, you're reported missing, you're presumed dead. I attend your memorial service and I cry the tears of a grieving widow. Until one day, I pull into a gas station and you're alive with people chasing you and you ask me to look at your butt? Do I get to know what's going on or do I just get killed for old time's sake? He lived a life undercover. Since when did you start wearing underpants? Thought you say your dad raised hogs in Tennessee. What name are you using, Rick? Nutty! You were a hairdresser? <laughs> I just can't believe it. Hi, Scotty. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Goldie Horn. I think we lost him. Where are we? Not there anymore. Huh? We're in the railway tunnel. Oh, where the hell are we? Bird on a wire. So Mel Gibson uh, plays Rick. Goldie Horn plays Marianne. Uh, Marianne's uh, Goldie Horn. Uh, I'm sorry. Marianne is Mel Gibson's uh, girlfriend from 12 or. 15 years ago. Right. Uh, he was in witness protection because he witnessed a federal agent kill multiple people mm. and he ratted on them and put one of the agents in jail. He had a contact at the FBI who, I guess, retired. We find out later what happened soon, which is he uh, got dementia. dementia. So he doesn't remember <clears throat> anything. And did you know who the, did you notice who the new FBI agent was? He was familiar looking. I didn't place him though. Needle nose Ned Ryerson. Oh, Groundhog Day. He plays Mel Gibson's new contact. It's me, Ned. Yeah, <laughs> Ned. Ned Ryerson. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So he's he's the new contact, but Needle Nose Ned is uh, actually working with the people who are out hunting Mel Gibson, the drug dealers. Right. So he erases Mel Gibson's name out of the. FBI's database so that nobody knows who he is. So he can no longer be protected. So then what happens is Mel Gibson, he's pumping gas uh, in some random place in Detroit. Um, And his ex-girlfriend shows up and recognizes him immediately. And he tries to play it off like he's not who he is. And Uh, she surprisingly drives away. 
Right. And comes back later. But he obviously now feels like he's been found, needs to move, calls the FBI, never heard of him. Yeah. Well, no, he that's when hap, that's when he contacts Ned, right. his new contact, and he erases all the database or whatever. Oh, okay. Ned okay. erases gotcha, gotcha. the database. Right. So also, he erased it after he found out where Rick was. Also, bad guys played by Bill Duke, who's Mac in Predator. Yes. And David Carradine. If you don't know who David Carradine is, he has a million acting credits, well, a lot of kung fu stuff. And most notably is um Bill and Bi- Kill Bill. Yeah. And yes. Kill Bill. Okay. David Carradine, please watch some of his early 80s movies. If you want to talk about a train wreck, these are so bad they're funny movies. That's David Carradine's early acting career. Well, I'm, I've, I haven't followed David Carradine's career, so <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that I have, I guess. All right, directed uh, by uh, John Bedham. Yep. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all times he directed, War Games. Also Saturday Night Fever. Not one of my all-time favorite movies, though. <laughs> you know what, though? The first one's not bad. I will say that. Wait, there's more than one? Yeah, there's a sequel. <laughs> I don't want to see that one either. Short Circuit, <laughs> which was one of my favorite childhood movies. Rewatching as an adult made me realize what was I thinking as a child. I didn't like it then either, and I haven't rewatched it since probably the 80s. So He also did uh, Stakeout. And another Stakeout. So I looked at his IMDb, and he has uh, a, a lot of movies. And because of all of these, made me want to watch more of his so yeah, I'm gonna he, make it a point to because this is more this is a good movie. War Games is a fantastic movie. movie. Short Circuit was a classic when we were kids. Right, Stakeout, great. Another, Another stake, Stakeout, great. Anything with Dreyfus and an early uh, late '80s, early '90s Emilio Estevez, I'm game, hundred percent. So yeah, so the movie. All right, so then he they get he gets found, and so what is. What does Rick start doing? The same thing anybody who's been in the federal protective witness, whatever protection program would do. He keeps going back to his old positions, which doesn't make any sense because he knows the people who are after him knows who knows who he is. So but he's trying to get the book. To, uh, so, he, right. so he wants to get the book to his, find out where this is the 90 early 90s. There's no Internet and yes. he doesn't have a cell phone. So he needs his address book that has the phone number of the residents of his contact at the FBI. So I take it back. It made sense, except for it was the same <laughs> movie over and over and over again. OK, but. I, I kind of enjoyed the fact that he had to be different people every time he went somewhere new. The only place he was different was when he went to the, the salon, and which, by the way, that whole scene would never play out today. People wouldn't allow that. But we had to pretend to be gay and yeah. had the really lispy gay accent. So gay. He had the gayest voice ever, which makes no sense because gay's not a voice. But anyway, I'm a little bit too uh, PC here. <laughs> we'll get past it. It's the 90s. Okay. Um... I think that this movie's very horny. <laughs> that's real that's really what I got from this right. movie. And this is in my notes too, because and we'll talk about like I'm gonna tell you the worst scene in this movie is the scene where they have sex because it was awkward. The whole thing was awkward. He gets in the bed naked. It's just weird discussion. I just I didn't like well, that, a second of it. Well, when is sex on camera not awkward? It's not the fact that they had sex, because sex on camera is awkward. It was the whole conversation beforehand, everything that led up to it. See, you know what, though? I would normally agree with you, but I'm actually going to... I, I'm going to disagree because I found not Goldie Horn, but Mel Gibson actually kind of charming with his rhetoric. But, she actually, but then her response to some of his rhetoric is, I was actually getting turned on for a second. Now, hold on. You're running for your life. You think your life is ruined because now you're labeled a fugitive and you're getting turned on by the guy that ruined your life and ran away from you 15 years before. Okay, so let's backtrack. She thinks he's dead because he she attended his funeral. It was staged, right? She was in love with him, wanted to get married. She said, you quote unquote, left me at the altar because that's where her head is at. Not that they were actually at the altar. And she's now seeing a man that she was in love with and thought died and mourned him and now he's back so like yeah i guess you know conflicting emotions one of them's gonna be like i'm very happy to see this guy again regardless i hated the scene 
Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, so getting back to the part about this being a very horny movie, how many asses did we see in this movie? Well, we saw a, a whole lot of Mel Gibson's ass. No, and why didn't he think was waxing or shaving not a thing in the nineties? <laughs> my notes say you have very on. hairy arms. His ass was as hairy as your arms. Hold on. Uh, the very early on in the movie, Goldie Hawn skirt oh. blew up. Yeah, it's and also my his, notes. His response was, "Since when did you start wearing panties?" <laughs> yeah. Okay. And also when she got dressed, it was like she, like for nighttime, this guy's staying at your hotel room. You're trying to put you have to throw on some negligee before you go to bed. Yeah, what was her? She woke up wearing negligee, like, like lingerie. Right. Like that's, that's your nighttime attire. I guess if you're Goldie Hawn. I don't know. My wife goes to sleep in like an actual nightgown, like from, uh. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. An actual nightgown? (laughs) Like, like the, like the grandparents. (laughs) Okay. Well. All right, Chris's wife, who will remain unnamed because of this information that he's divulged. All right, moving on. I'm just saying, negligee isn't the, the usual nighttime attire. And then the other girl that he encounters, she's also horned so up. So horny. Him. So horny for him. It's, it's Mel Gibson, though, right? Like, be honest with you. I might be horned up for yeah, Mel Gibson. Yeah, so were the, all the hairdressers. <laughs> I thought that was one of the funniest scenes. It when, actually was. It was really well played to, out. When he had to pretend to be gay in front of Goldie Hawn, and she could barely contain her laughter because of the, the <laughs> accent that he had to put on. It was thick. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So lots of shootouts, a lot of stuff blowing up. So this is one thing I wanted to discuss with you, right? Early 90s action, kind of comedy action movie, right? Everything that crashes blows up, right? Motorcycles blow I mean, that's up. that's true movies Cars now. blow up. Everything blows up. I love explosions. Okay. So then they had the scene where the helicopter chase scene, which I thought was a fantastic scene. He's flying this little prop plane, right? Open seat, two-person prop Decides plane. Decides he's going to take out the rotor with his plane. Which he does successfully. <laughs> Fine. But there's a helicopter, like a small two-person helicopter chasing this small airplane. I thought it was a great scene for this movie. It was fun. It was fun. I thought it was, well, it, you know, it's not the best action scene. I just thought it fit this movie. Like, it wasn't too over the no, top. No, it wasn't. It was, it was fine. So then the helicopter crashes after all said and done because, like you said, he takes out the prop with the plane's wheels. He, like, right. kind of lands on top of it midair, right? And then the helicopter crashes and it rolls down the hill. And I was like, oh, cool. They kind of played it right. Like, it, it wouldn't just explode. crash. It and didn't then? explode. <laughs> and then it exploded. But hold on. Not only did it explode, it exploded once with, like, a moderate-sized explosion. And then it exploded a second time with a completely ridiculous explosion. It's the, it's the reserve fuel tank. <laughs> right. That, that had some C4 in it or something. Absolutely. That's what because happens. that's where you store your C4 in the 90s, in the fuel tank. Right. Physics. It's physics. <laughs> okay. So, all right. After all this chasing and everything, we end up with him finally finding uh, his contact to the FBI. Guy has dementia. It's sad. He doesn't know how he's going to prove his innocence now, but he decides to go now lure the uh, agents to the zoo where he used to work, where his contact sister used to work. I kind of got confused by that. Like, why were they so close to the zoo at that point? Was the sister? No, one he of- had once worked there. Mel Gibson had right, once worked but there. But also the sister worked there. Whose sister? The contact sister. The, the FBI contact, the one with dementia. His sister was the one who he had put Mel Gibson to work for. Oh, okay. And I found that a little I, odd. I missed like, that point. It's a little bit too close. Anyway, but they go to this and then just the that, that this was where I kind of lost interest in the movie because I felt like this whole zoo scene took forever. Yeah, it did take a while. I was it could have been shorter, but it was, it was dragged out way too long. He fed Bill Duke to the lions. Right, but you could have done this in a much quicker way that I would have been more interested in. It, was, it just felt like it was just too drawn out, like too much craziness going on with the, the 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 props falling out of the sky, people getting stuck in ladders and electrocuted. It was a lot. It was a, I felt like it was about a third of the movie, yeah. but it was probably less. Um, and then my only question was, how did they clear their names? I don't know. Was there an ending? They never. They just like drove away. I felt like it was kind of like a Three Stooges ending, where like, all right, we're done with this now. See ya. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. I don't know how they cleared their names. They just they killed they killed all three guys that would have been able to at least prove that they were who they said they were, and there was nobody remaining 
to say, okay, yep, he's a good guy. I don't. They're I, on a boat. That's how it ended. They drove away on a boat, like a really expensive boat. They're rich now too. Is it bad that I watched this a few days ago and I don't really remember the ending? <laughs> no, it's all right because the ending was the worst part of this movie. All right, so uh, I'm I, I'm ready to move on. All right, best scene. I, I think it's the scene where he pretends to be gay. Like I thought he played uncomfortable so well because he was embarrassed to do it in front of Goldie Horn. And I think Goldie Horn, real or fake, when she couldn't contain her laughter, like people laughing on screen is always funny to me. So that's my favorite scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. Um I like the plain scene originally i thought I that was it great it wasn't a great scene but now i'm like thinking about it i actually really enjoyed it it kind of fit it yeah. wasn't over the top they didn't do ridiculous it, things it, it really did fit the the tone of the movie so it was good and i enjoyed it um and you have any good quotes uh i think the plane scene when the plane's going down he goes put your head between your legs and, and then she says now what he says kiss your ass goodbye we got no wheels and we're going down <laughs> Um, I actually liked my favorite quote was from Goldie Hawn when Gibson's pressing her about how rich she is and selling out and all this. Uh-huh. And he's like, don't you ever help anyone? Don't you ever do any good with your money? And she goes, occasionally we invite a homeless person in for Thanksgiving. We don't feed them. We eat turkey and make them watch. <laughs> that that, storms that was good. I wanted to ask you if this is an acceptable submission for, for, for most quotable line. The way Mel Gibson plays hurt. The grunts and the groans and the way he's like flailing about when he's hurt. Is that an acceptable submission? I think so because I've been going every movie like the best quote's always like a funny quote. Yeah. But why does the 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 best quote have to be funny? It could just be the best acted quote, the the most sold line in the movie. And if his reactions and grunts and groans are fitting and make sense, then why not? I think Mel Gibson plays injured. Better than any actor I've ever seen. He does get injured in all of his movies. I just think that it's like, it's you. It's unmistakably him. Like, if you heard it without seeing the scene, you would know that that was Mel Gibson. Yeah. I, fair enough. And, you know, would you recommend this movie? Best actor. Oh, best actor. Mel Gibson. Worst actor? <sighs> David Carradine. Yeah. He Do you, you don't understand my disdain for this he, man. But, I mean, he was barely in the movie, so I guess, yeah. He was kind of more like a lurching character than he was acting. Would I recommend this movie? Sure. If, you, if you're bored on a Sunday afternoon and it's raining. If you're trying to complete the filmography of Mel Gibson, you'll find worse. Again, not the worst movie you're ever going to see. It's it's a good watch. Passable. Passable. I wouldn't have watched. You know what? Yeah, I recommend it. Go watch the movie. <laughs> I'm glad you decided. <laughs> All right, and now the moment we've all been waiting for. One of the most influential movies of my movie-watching life. A part of the series. Part of the that series, but which. it counts. Back to the Future 3. Part 3. From out of the West, in a cloud of dust, a thunder of hooves, and a mighty... Great Scott. I know, this is heavy. And This summer, Marty and Doc go back one more time... <laughs> For their greatest adventure of all. Doc's living in the past. Just try it, Tanner! But he's about to be history. What kind of a future do you call that? I'm going back to 1885 and I'm bringing you home. It's the last roundup. Come on, run! It's the final showdown. Hey, lighten up, jerk! Where Marty makes a name for himself. What's your name, dude? Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. What kind of stupid name is that? Doc meets his mate. You saved my life. I'm a problem at your service. And Tannen meets his match. I'll hunt you and shoot you down like a duck. It's dog, Buford. Shoot him down like a dog. Michael J. Fox. Where'd you learn to shoot like that? 7-Eleven. Christopher Lloyd. There's a fella that can't hold his liquor. And Mary Steenburgen. I never ever met a man like you before. <clears throat> Gentlemen, excuse me, but my friend and I have to catch a train. This summer, Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis invite you. Come on, Marty! To the Rough Rider. Rip Roar. Rootin' Tootin'. Straight Shootin'. Is this a hold up? It's a science experiment! Rousing conclusion of... 
Back to the Future. Back to the Future, Part 3. 244 million dollars that's a big kick in the balls huh that's a huge number in 1990 i like it and it's probably done better than that outside of the box office so if we need to go over it which we shouldn't but (laughs) we'll go over it michael j fox christopher lloyd uh mary steenbergen part three of the installment of the wonderful director robert zemeckis thank you um and in my opinion, if I'm going to rate the Back to the Future movies, I'm going to go one, three, two. Absolutely. I, I think most people would agree with you on that. Uh, Not a hot take, but people are entitled to their opinions. Yeah. Um, I think three. We, we actually talked. We watched this movie together. Yes. And we were talking about how three on its own would have been a great standalone movie. Yes. I mean, you can't have. The, you know, some of the intricacies of the movie don't make sense if you don't have one and two. But overall, I think three would have been fine as a movie. And it's kind of overshadowed by one because one was just such a, a, a revelation. Well, look, not I, I hate to use the phrase, but one is almost a perfect movie. I think it is a perfect movie. Yeah. And not not that. And when, so what I mean when I say a perfect movie is that it would you replace a scene? And I would say no. I can't think of a scene in one that I would replace. Not that I would replace anything in three either. Would I do anything different in three? There's no. A, uh, it's there's just, a few things I would do different in three. Okay, fine. But I can nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. And three has what I love in movies is quotable lines. And three has an abundance of them. You know? That and it's never boring. No. I find myself bored with two from time Absolutely. to time. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, that's why three has to be better than two. All right, Chris, so give us the plot of part three. All right. So at the end of part two, the Western Union guy comes, gives Marty that note, the letter from Doc Brown telling him that he's in 1885 and he's happy and to move on with his life. Right. So what happens is they they go to find the DeLorean that Doc had stored away in that cave and they stumble upon his grave, which... This might be one of those things I would change in part three. Just so happens that his grave is right outside where he stored the DeLorean. But they stumble upon Doc's grave. And then now Marty knows I have to go back to 1885 because Doc only died seven days after sending me this letter. So he gets 1955 Doc Brown to send him back to 1885 where he's going to go get his future Doc Brown to bring him back to the future yet again. All right. So let's. Because I could talk about this movie for hours. I know that you can too. Um, To try and keep it to the best of our ability to be succinct and entertaining. Let's just go through, pull out some of our favorite scenes, try and go in chronological order the best we can. So number one, the Howdy Doody on TV. Iconic. Love Howdy Doody. I don't love Howdy Doody, but I love Howdy Doody in the movie. Right. I love hearing Howdy Doody on Doc's TV. That's it. No, I don't want to watch the show. I just like hearing it. When he hit, when he falls on the hoverboard and then he hits the piano and he's playing the, 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 oh, the ominous tones. Right. Yeah. Going up. Yeah. That was really good. Yes. All right. Then uh, they go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say my, the next best scene is when they're, they're at the drive-in movie theater and Doc Brown sets them up with all those, uh, that fancy Westerny clothes and, and like, I'm just looking at him and I'm like, nobody wore clothes like that. And you would never convince anyone that that's what people in 1885 were wearing. Yeah. I don't know where they pulled that from. Like, I don't know if there's even a, a single movie that depicts that. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Western fan, so I can't say in, you know, spaghetti Westerns and all that stuff. Who knows what some of that stuff might look like? Although you're more than likely right that it never looked like that with pastel colors and pinks and, and blues and such. So... All right, but, so next scene. Well, Doc yelled. Doc, Marty gets all concerned because he's like, Doc, what about those Indians? And yeah. You're thinking three-dimensionally, Marty. you got to think four-dimensionally. It's like, right. I got a real problem with that. Those Indians won't even be there. <laughs> and then he goes back in time. And guess what? They're right there. They're there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> all right. So then he's on the McFly farm, right? Some great, great scenes there. Loving the fact that he's playing the old whatever he is. What's a Seamus McFly, right? Good, not too, not too harsh on the Irish accent. I thought it was pretty harsh. 
I thought it was solid. It, it was all right. I, I I thought it was funny, but not like ridiculous. Well, one of the things that was really concerning to me is why does Marty McFly's paternal great grand great great grandmother look exactly like his mother? That doesn't make sense. They're not in the same lineage. Doesn't make sense, right? But also pretty funny. You're my. You're my. Who are you? Yeah. Um. Okay. So. He gives him the boots, the hat. I'll even give you a hat. Where'd you get that from? Dead Chinese. <laughs> so then, yeah, they go <laughs> over to the saloon. We meet uh, Mad Dog Tannen. There's so much racism in the 90s. It's fine, though. It was the 90s. <laughs> you have to accept the times that you were in. So, And it's very mild racism, too. It was mild. So anyway, um, he meets Mad Dog Tannen. Um, Calls him Mad Dog. That was a mistake. Yes. He hates being Mad Dog. Makes him dance. That was a great scene. All right. So then we also noted it in our notes. We were talking about the three guys in the saloon, the old men that have like the little bit of banter. Yeah. And they're like famous uh, Western actors, right? Yeah. They're just like kind of like like stand-ins or guys that have like a line or two, but they've been doing it for forever. And they look like they belonged in a saloon. So they're good at what they do. Yeah. So Zemeckis had them come back for that, which (laughs) I, I, I found entertaining. He gets out. He meets Doc. He's getting strung up. Doc shoots him off. Uh, off the off, shoots the rope off his neck. Right. All right. Next favorite. Next favorite scene. Yes. Oh, Clara Clayton. And the only reason her introduction, because from that moment on, don't even know the actress's name. Not even going to look it up because I don't care. <laughs> she's Clara Clayton from now on. From any anything she's ever in moving forward is Clara Clayton. I saw Step Brothers in theaters. I saw her come on screen as. The mother, and I was like, that's Clara Clayton. That's all she is, is Clara Clayton. All right, I'm on board with that. The Clayton Ravine, but it's not Clayton Ravine. Shoshank Ravine. (laughs) Is Shoshank? I just made that up. You definitely made that up. (laughs) It's some Indian name. All right. Shoshank. That's what I was thinking of. You you definitely just made that up on the fly. Excellent. All right. uh, What comes next? What comes next? They go back to the model. They're trying to design, they're pull, pulling the, the car, they're pushing the car. I can't explain to you how much I love Doc's model scenarios. <laughs> I, I can't talk about it enough because you just think about the intricacies and his apologies for not being more intricate. And you're like, this is as intricate as you could possibly be. Right, yeah, he, he's constantly apologizing for the crudeness of the model. Meanwhile, you it, spent should, days. it should have taken somebody weeks to build what you he sp- built. You spent days, if not weeks, building that model. Also, can I express to you my confusion on what's on the back of the model car? It says time. Oh, the batteries? Yeah. yeah. Are they batteries? And I where think do you it's get the them same, from? I think it's the same model DeLorean that he had from the first movie. Okay. I mean, like, he just started carrying it around just in case he needed <laughs> kept a model. it in his pocket in case he needed another <laughs> like model. What happens if we get stuck back in 1885 and I need a model? Yeah. All right. Well, good good planning. All right. Uh, what comes next? Oh, the, uh, the whole uh, festival. Which, all right. Let's pause here for a second. This, this is the best 20 the, minutes of this movie. The, my favorite part of the movie is this. Um, first off, my favorite line is when he picks up the pie plate and he goes, Frisbee, far out. And then Seamus goes, what was the meaning of that? It was right in front of him. <laughs> that, my favorite line right there. Excellent Irish accent, by the way. All right. Then he takes the, so they run into Biff. He invents the Frisbee. Right. Yeah. He <laughs> invents the Frisbee. Um, they run into Biff. Biff has the spat with Doc, goes to shoot him. Marty throws the Frisbee pie plate, hits him in the arm. Swings his arm up, shoots Doc's hat off his head. Love that. Yes. Uh, then he, uh, they, then they have their argument or whatever. Uh, what time are we going to do this? Oh, hold on. We forgot a great line from this movie, and it was supposed to be in that moment that it happened. Which is? Shot in the back over a matter of $80. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. We'll, we'll throw that in there. I needed to. We'll, we'll, we'll go back and do quotable lines. We'll fix that. Um, all right. So- we get done with that. We're moving forward. Fast forward all the way to what? What's the next? Uh, the next most is, memorable scene has got to be the uh, the sh- the the show showdown. What would you call that? Right. The the yeah. What would the, the the gunfight. The yeah. Okay. I don't. What's the word for? It? There's a word for it. Right. I'm trying to think of what you a duel. A duel. Thank it's a you. Duel. It's a duel. Okay. So the duel they have. 
Which isn't really a duel, but it's great. So Doc had already broke up with Clara, right? He's distraught. He's in the bar. He has hold- one shot of whiskey. No, he hasn't. He's holding one shot of whiskey. And he, Marty's like, how many has he had? And the bartender's like, none. That's his first one. <laughs> <laughs> Goes out immediately. Right, so I love the, the Clint Eastwood reference, right? Because they show... At some point in time, Clint Eastwood was on TV with whatever movie that was. I'm not not entirely sure. And he puts the the furnace cover on his chest, too. Yeah, so he does the same thing. He's got the furnace cover on his chest, stops the bullet, and he slaps Mad Dog Tannen in the the mouth with it, knocks him out. Then they're on the chase scene to uh, get to the the train. Then, basically, we're at the end of the movie. Yeah. So, I, I know I glossed over a lot of things, but... So there are a few things about the movie I have to point out that are like major problems for me. And one of them you actually pointed out when we were watching the movie, Mm -hmm. which is so Marty takes the car from 1955 out of the cave Mm -hmm. and goes back to 1885. So now the car that he's in is actually the younger version of that car still sitting in the cave in 1885 because Doc Brown had hit it in the cave. So when he rips the fuel line, that car in the cave should still have the fuel that Doc needed to get the car into the cave. Okay. So the fact that they can't just throw some gas in it, throw some garbage in Mr. Fusion and take off and be on their merry way back to 1955 is preposterous. Well, so, yeah, I didn't really get it because one had a problem with the fuel that had no fuel. The other one, they blew the carburetor. He said it'd take me a month to repair it. But why couldn't they do some sort of mix of the two to make it work? Exactly. Just use this this, this spare car for spare parts. Yeah. Uh, or, or if he figured that the they put the alcohol in it from the bar, which blew the carburetor, which was too strong, at, at the very least, you should have another crack at doing that with a less strong alcohol, no? Right. There, there's, there's holes there. I don't like them. All right. Well, I mean, look, as far as continuity goes, if you have one floor, two floors, whatever the case may be, I'll accept it because of all the through lines that Zemeckis put through this, like how we were talking about how uh, the guy who sells the cars, it's the same family name. And in the 1885, they're selling horses. The manure company, the, yep. the same company throughout the whole, it, it, the same last name throughout all three movies. Goldie so- Wilson, right? The Wilson family is represented in all three. The guy, the... The, pre- the not the president. The principal is represented. His great grandfather is the, the, sheriff. the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. So like discipline, he, son, discipline. He pulls you know the through line through all three movies and does a great job at it. So and he doesn't shove it in your face like you got to go looking for it. Right. So and that, and it's all in the background and it's and, it, and that is awesome. And I'm just throwing out my nitpicks. I mean, you but we can. We can talk about that, no? Uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't want anyone to get the the impression that I love this movie. Right, nothing's going to make me not love this movie. This that was is, my one problem. That's fine. And I have only one other problem with this movie. Okay, it's Doc tells Marty he's happy where he is. Yeah. So why does he then have to invent a time machine again? I feel like the story should have ended. He always wanted to live in. Yeah. He always wanted to live in the West. It was his favorite period of time. He, he says that several times. He should have just stayed there and lived out his days with Clara Clayton, the scientist and the school teacher. Well, I think that look, if I had the head cannon, right? He's a scientist. He's an inventor. He inve- invented arguably the greatest invention of all time. If we're going to say that this is reality, <laughs> right? So. Maybe he was sitting there in the old west and no TV and got a little bored and started tinkering. And before he knew it, he had a time machine again. And apparently an even better one. There's only one other thing that, and it doesn't bother me in the slightest, but it is like, doesn't make much sense. When they're trying to get the car up to 88 miles an hour and they start pulling it with like four or five horses. All right. One horse can't run faster than like maybe 35 miles an hour. And I think Doc even says that. Yeah. So- like stringing horses together. It's not like you add their speeds and then. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not how that works? No. So if I have like 10 horses, I can't go 300 miles an hour? No. So what was the point of even ringing up the DeLorean to the horses? It made no sense. But I liked it. <laughs> it was a good scene. Yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. So I'm good with it, but it still makes no sense. Uh, no, I guess another quotable line when he's talking to the train conductor. He's like, if you get the fire up hotter than the blazes of hell and damnation itself. 
Yeah, I guess you could get up to 85 miles an hour. Would you recommend Back to the Future Part No, three? because it's a trash movie. It's worst. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I shouldn't have to say whether or not I'd recommend this movie, but clearly it's yes. I want to watch them right now, all three in a row. Yes. <laughs> well, except for two. I just never want to watch two. I like the almanac. Yeah, that's a good part, but I don't know. I mean, I like two, but I just, I, I'll take one and then three any day. I just think sometimes it's, I sit here and I think about Back to the Future and I realize I relate way more to Biff than I do to Marty McFly. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would definitely go and steal an almanac. Definitely. <laughs> I would have no self-restraint. <laughs> Zero. And I would make a, I would make an alternate 1985 in the same fashion that Biff did. I would have a Chris Tower. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> also, it's Biff Tower. It's his first name. Not. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't think he uses last name. It's fine. Well, who oh, else yeah. is Biff? So it's as good. As, it's it's, I, it it's as good as a last name. It's, he's like Cher. One right. Name. Yeah. There we go. Well, we need is one name. <laughs> All right, folks. Next month, what do we have? Next month is July. No, no June. June. I apologize. That's forwarding there. Next month. Next. Oh, we have some winners. It so, starts to get good now. So we have Total Recall. Love it. We have Dick Tracy. You love it. <laughs> and we have a movie that is one of my all-time favorite movies. Can, can can be considered almost like an 80s movie, but it fits in perfectly in the 90s. And I'm really looking forward to this one because I've never seen it before. Which is, I, I'm shocked and somewhat appalled by that fact. I think it's okay. Not everyone's into race car driving. Everyone's into Tom Cruise. That's true. So Days of Thunder. So definitely looking forward to next month. I had a blast this month and uh, it's getting good now. I'm really excited for the each movie, and every the episode. The movies really pick up. I mean, in the next three months, we have Total Recall. We have Days of Thunder, which you love. We have Godfather Part 3. We have Goodfellas, Goodfellas coming, up. coming up. We got, I mean, not till Christmas time, but you get Home Alone. You have, there are just so many movies. I can't even, there's so many to talk about. It, this is going to be amazing. Yep. All right. I'll see you. Later.